This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, your humble host. Oftentimes, on this program, we think in terms of the big picture. We talk about the New World Order and the Illuminati and uh, geopolitics and political subterfuge and things that are happening over there. Uh, and it's easy very easy to lose sight of things that are happening in our very own backyard, things that are troublesome, disturbing, odious even. Uh, On the surface, they may not seem important, but they are. And uh, this is how and why we are losing the battle for our inalienable rights and freedoms. Here's a perfect example. Not sure if you're familiar with uh, what's going on here in uh, Ontario. The uh, provincial government here, the liberal government of Kathleen Wynne, Uh, they are eyeing serious changes uh, to traffic court. They're calling it an online administrative monetary penalty system, or AMPS, A-M-P-S. And the idea is that this online administrative monetary penalty system, it sounds rather innocuous, but I don't think it is. The idea is that it would replace the current procedures for paying and disputing charges under the Provincial Offenses Act. So currently, if you want to plead not guilty to, let's say, some uh, a speeding uh, violation, you want to plead not guilty, you get to go to court and present evidence. And this is fundamental. You get to face your accuser. And he has to present evidence, or she has to present evidence, and that would be uh, the, uh, the police officer presumably, who issued the ticket. Again, this is a fundamental tenet of democracy and the judicial process. It's one of the linchpins. But now here in Ontario, the Liberals are saying this is a cost-saving measure. You'll resolve your dispute online, and some unbiased bureaucrat will essentially determine how much you have to pay. No presumption of innocence, no day in court, no facing your accuser. They want to streamline the process. So you're all guilty. We'll decide how much you get to pay. Which will mean more convictions, more revenue into the municipal coffers, and everyone is sitting back saying, well, that's okay. But again, the loss of a fundamental freedom. 
Now they're floating this idea. I can't imagine this will withstand a charter challenge before the Supreme Court. We shall see. However, the, the mere audacity to even float this idea. And again, people may say, well, if it saves money, why not? This is odious. This is what I mean by odious. This is what I mean by the incremental erosion of our fundamental rights and freedoms. I'm telling you, this is only the beginning. And this is the problem with collectivists. And the liberals are collectivists. This is ultimately where their philosophy leads. But they're also very clever. Pay no attention to this. Look over here. Now we're putting beer in grocery stores. This is how it all ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. Pecked to death by a thousand sparrows. Left-leaning, collectivist, odious sparrows. Uh, get up on the website, richardserrett.com, where Albert the intern has posted some fascinating articles. You can log on now while you're listening to the show or the podcast and read during the commercial breaks. Or you can hit pause on the podcast, read an article, and then listen to more of the show. Uh, isn't technology grand? Uh, there's an article that goes back a couple of years from WND that offers some spiritual context to the careers of the Beatles back in the mid-60s. At the, the height of their fame, all four of the Beatles professed to be atheists, but later in life, all four ended up seeking a spiritual life. John Lennon, who of course turned the world upside down when he proclaimed the Beatles are more popular than Jesus, later admitted that he was a most religious fellow. He said he was brought up a Christian, and he only now understood some of the things that Christ was saying in those parables. Uh, you can find that article, again, in the slide carousel atop richardserrett.com. Another great article on the occult meanings of many American logos and symbols. Uh, so those are just two, a sampling, a mere sampling. Again, the slide carousel atop of richardserrett.com. Once again, we're doing an HOA, Hangout On Air. If you want to catch the live stream, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Let me spell the last name. S as in Simon. Y, because I love you. R, E, double T, S, Y, R, E, T, T, at Richard Serrett. While you're there, please follow and say hi. Uh, just click on the tweet that says HOA. It's near the top of the Twitter feed, and you are in. You can also go back and uh, watch previous streams of our on our uh, YouTube channel, which is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We have another great show in store for you tonight. I met my uh, my guest this evening about, I guess, six months ago, while I was preparing to host Coast to Coast. He was introduced to me by Coast's exec producer, Lisa Lyon, who called me up and said, you've got to meet this gentleman up in Oregon. He was uh, recruited by naval intelligence at a very young age. He was, this guy's a genuine prodigy, a wonderkind, you might say, in, a field, in the field of advanced physics. He's also heavily involved in alternative agriculture. He's an herbalist. A real renaissance man, if ever there was one. So Lisa Lyons said, talk to him, and if you'd like, you can interview him on coast. So we had this lengthy conversation via Skype one afternoon, and we, we went on to do a show on coast. We covered a lot of ground. We talked about secret military research, new age physics, powers of the mind. He spoke about his early days being part of a black ops team for Navy intelligence, later working for Boeing. The aircraft company was involved with researching magnetic monopoles and anti-gravity approaches. 
and the ability to change space and time with repulsion coils, just nanometers in size. He went on to say that there are conspiracies, cover-ups, and false flags layered like an onion, and every time you peel one back, there's another one. He detailed some of the secret things he saw in Antarctica, a set of caverns, one of which was a mile high and had clouds in it that rained, I kid you not, a Nazi submarine base in disarray, and a Viking base from the 14th century. The whole of Earth is honeycombed with interconnecting tunnels and networks, some as far as 100 miles below, which could be populated by people who haven't been on the surface since the Great Flood. He went on to mention... During this conversation, there were times, quite frankly, I asked myself, are people getting this? Does it make sense? But the phone lines, I have to tell you, they melted down. People couldn't get enough, and the response after the show was phenomenal. Turns out people know exactly what Dr. Richard Allen Miller is on about, even if at, at times uh, your humble host was holding on for dear life trying to play catch-up. So I thought it was high time I introduced listeners of The Conspiracy Show to Dr. Richard Allen Miller. He's a pioneer in the annals of metaphysical and paranormal exploration. Again, he began working in the secret world of Navy intel in the late 60s and now has amazing experiences and conclusions to share. He's uh, getting ready for a, a prepper conference. We'll find out more about that as well, and uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the numerous uh, titles, uh, books, uh, power tools for the uh, 21st century and uh, much more. Great pleasure to welcome to The Conspiracy Show Dr. Richard Allen Miller. Hello, Richard. How are you? Are you there, Richard? I don't think Richard is... Uh, no. Oh, we're gonna, he dropped off the line there. That's all right. We'll get him back. Uh, while we are waiting, let me just uh, quickly, and Tim is working furiously in the other room trying to get uh, Dr. Miller back on. Let me mention quickly uh, that uh, I, I have touched upon this briefly. We are developing an app for The Conspiracy Show. It will be available for Android and iPhone. And uh, we are probably just a couple of weeks away from uh, a hard launch. I can't wait to do the unveil uh, on this. And um, uh, once we have it ready to roll, we will bring, I'm, I'm going to try and convince uh, uh, Sharon Forster, who's uh, developing the app, to come on and sort of walk us through this amazing uh, piece of technology. But uh, it'll be great. You can take The Conspiracy Show wherever you go on your Android, your, uh, your iPhone, your, uh, your iPad. And uh, it's, I've really, I can honestly say I've seen nothing like it. I've, I've sampled a, a number of different apps for, for radio, radio programs and so forth. Uh, but um, so get ready for that. The big unveil. Now I understand we have uh, Dr. Miller back, but we've lost the visual. That's okay. We've got his uh, wonderful discarnate I can't voice. Can't hear you though. I need higher volume. All right, uh, Dr. Miller, can you hear me now? I uh, need uh, just a little more volume, please. All right, Tim, crank it. Give us all you got in the I other know, room. This is crazy. There we go. Okay. That's better. Can you call my voice? You, you're coming in loud and clear, sir. Okay, good. Thank you. Good to have I, you on board. Well, everything that Richard was saying. But it was coming through my computer. <laughs> I didn't know how to turn that part off. Well, we're glad to have you on board. Now, I'm sorry that we can't do the other part. It's, um, I love watching Richard and his 
<laughs> That's all right. We've got uh, lots of uh, lots of slides to share with uh, okay, with people that are joining the hangout. Let's let's, let's about the inconvenience. Not to worry. Let's talk about uh, this uh, big prepper conference. Taking people off the grid, teaching them how to live off the grid for thirty days. Uh, just just give us some details before we drill down on that. Well, basically, um, the grid is going to collapse. You can count on it. And when it does, we're going to have more meltdowns with Fukushima's and all kinds of other natural forms of disaster. Um, the ocean is rising and sea level uh, because uh, it's in 64 degrees in Antarctica today. And so we have a bunch of different events that are about to happen that are going to require some degree of sovereignty. And tonight's talk... I thought I would run through some basics on how to survive, uh, you know, almost any kind of a grid collapse. So the title of this talk would be more like an interview, would be like, um, can you live off the grid for 30 days? That's probably going to happen shortly. And uh, what is going to be the um, the instigator here? Are we talking about an EMP event? Or are we talking That's about... The most likely. Hmm. That's the most likely thing will be a, a CMA. Um, a coronal mass injection. Off the sun. Okay. You know, so there's global warming going on um, because of the heliosphere of the sun itself is heating up right now. It is shooting off X-band. Uh, thank gosh it's off in the wrong direction, or we would have been back in the Stone Age earlier. Um, basically, when the grid collapses, you'll be out of things like water and transportation, food, communication, medicine. I mean, the list goes on and on. Well, they, and if you're not prepared, or at least have some idea of what to do, it could be really bad. Well, when the grid goes down, uh, and because it hasn't been sufficiently hardened against such an event, we could be in the dark for decades. Uh, so, I mean, can we? Can you prepare people? Can we prepare ourselves to be living off the grid, not just for 30 days, Dr. Miller, but let's face it, indefinitely? Um, well, that's my whole thing I did on sustainable lifeboats. The idea that the USS America is taking on water, and I don't know whether it's going to sink or swim, but I think it's time to start thinking about sustainable lifeboats. A lifeboat without oars is not a very cool thing. Let me that ask means you have to be semi-prepared for all kinds of possibilities. Now, which side of the, uh, there are sort of two camps, uh, to my mind, when we talk about preparing for such an eventuality. And there, there is the camp that, that subscribes to, uh, to heading for the hills, get away from people. Uh, and then there are those who subscribe to build communities, maybe even stay put, uh, because you're going to need to be associated with doctors and plumbers and handy people. Which camp are you in? Yes, all of the above. What you're talking about is bugging in or bugging out. And often you can't choose who you're in the bunker with. And so that's kind of creepy sometimes. Indeed. Listen, let's uh, hold on, uh, Dr. Miller. We'll take a timeout, come back, and we'll talk about, uh, well, we'll start with 30 days, baby steps, living off the grid. 
Dr. Richard Allen Miller, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth will set you free, but first, it will really tick you off. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. And joining us on the line from the Pacific Northwest, Dr. Richard Allen Miller, the author of a number of books, including Power Tools for the 21st Century, the Encyclopedia of Alternative Agriculture, The Modern Alchemist, The Magical and Ritual Use of Herbs, Natural Plants of Commercial Importance, uh, and the list goes on. We're uh, we're talking about preparing for uh, some sort of cataclysmic event. All right. Now um, let's let's do baby steps. Let's um, let's say, say we want to get off the grid and uh, survive off the grid for thirty days. How do we begin? I think that water is going to be the first immediate problem for everyone. I think that. Um, once the grid is down, of course, all the municipalities will fail. They won't be able to deliver water. And so what are you going to do? You have three days without water. And that's where FEMA has become so popular. That's its primary function is if a grid were to go down, to be able to supply the populace with water. Now, it's important to understand, I would recommend that everyone have at least three days of water for every single person in their family on hand at any given moment with a backup plan the first day on how to replace it. Now, I'm going to give you some water facts here. A person can only live three days without water. The optimum amount of drinking water, there's a basic formula that would say you take your your body weight by in, in pounds and have that into ounces. That means a 200-pound man needs approximately 100 ounces a day in order to survive. All right. Okay. Most of our water is, is polluted, and so how do you clean it? You need to have a plan on how to do that. Simple, down, and dirty, you could take a pair of jeans and stuff it with sand. That filters the water, and then you need to boil it uh, 10 minutes for every 1,000 feet. So for fill 3, the... 1,000 feet, you need to boil it for 30 minutes. So fill that up a pair of jeans. Organisms. Let me see if I can uh, draw a mental uh, image here for people. You take a pair of jeans, you sew the, uh, the, 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 um, the bottom together so that you can fill it up with sand, and then you're going to... No, I'm sorry, you're not going to... How, how are you going to keep the sand in there? You're gonna, you need to pour the water through. That's the, right, just like you would a Berkey. You're running it through sand. Most people... <laughs> do not understand yet how to take activated charcoal, which would be best. You can take activated charcoal from a fireplace and filter your water for cr- grime and things like that out of it. Right. However, certain areas of of, uh, the, of the United States where I live, for example, in Grants Pass, we have serpentine soils, and as a result, some of the water has arsenic in it. And so you have to have small testing kits. You can't just assume it's clean. Even with filtering, 
you can get toxic. How about um, uh, purifying the water with sunlight? Sunlight is a purifier in structuring the water, but it's not going to clean it of other things besides water in it. Well, sunlight will restructure water, but it won't clean it. There are um, gizmos that you can buy on the Internet that would suggest differently, and it is true that we now have a filter that will take seawater and make it potable or drinkable. Uh, But sunlight itself won't work. I see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, preppers online talking about, you know, shielding your electronics. And to me, that's futile. What is the point of, you know, uh, putting your cell phone and your computer inside a, uh, sealing it inside a tin garbage can uh, when (laughs) no one else is, there's nobody to talk to on the other end? Well, that's a good point, you know. Um, What we're talking about with CMEs is microwave band. And to shield microwave using Faraday cages and like that is near impossible because microwave band has wavelengths near quantum mechanical levels, which would, and you can't have a material, it'd be like a garbage can. And actually, the lead, the microwave could wiggle its way on into the can just because of the spaces between the lid and the can itself. Microwave is almost impossible uh, with current technologies to shield. So anything that comes off the sun that's going to be in an X-band or upper, it's going to fry everything. And when I say fry everything, your computer chip's in a car, the grid itself with capacitors and, uh, you know, load cells, whatever, you're going to have a problem because the microwave is invasive, and if it's a high enough uh, energy level, it'll just fry everything. In fact, just for the record, we had such a CME, actually it wasn't a CME, it was a plasma filament that went off two months ago in the opposite direction of the Earth, and would have taken the Earth down into the Stone Age. We had a similar X-band CME off yesterday. Suspiciousobservers.com did a very nice uh, presentation on that. We were lucky. Is this what, do you suspect, uh, Dr. Miller, and I, I guess we're speculating here, but do you suspect that that might be what is behind this uh, Homeland Security uh, no. maneuvers, no, Jade no, Helm no, 15? No. no? That, that, uh, trust me when I tell you, this is the least of your problems. That's the first of a number of shoes that are about to fall. After the grid collapses and you don't have any way to turn off 400 different Chernobyls, then there will probably be a mini ice age identical to the movie the day after tomorrow. And that would require where you live up in, in um, uh, Toronto. Are, where are you? You're in... We're in Toronto, yes. Yeah, you're in Toronto. You're going to have to be at least 12 feet underground. <laughs> the frost lines are going to start at 12 feet. It'll be just exactly like the day after tomorrow. What's happening is Greenland's glaciers are melting The sea is rising, just like in the movie, and it's changing the ocean currents and the desalinization of the sea. And what's going to happen next is a mini ice age while the uh, basic uh, ocean currents reboot. It'll last about two and a half weeks. 
when you crawl out of the cave like the Clovis culture did. Now, what's going to happen after that is that you're going to find that you've got a snowpack for three years. Now, and, and how high will that be? You have to go into your bug in with the more soil organisms in your seed because there's nothing going to be a living when you come out of it. And that probably will go down to as deep as Texas, just like in the movie, and why a lot of the smart money now is bugging out to Costa Rica. How do you Costa Rica mm -hmm. has its own problems with volcanoes going off right now. Right, right, indeed. And so all of this is what we call a semi-extinction event. It's happening right now. And I would be remiss if I didn't say something about it. Why is the sun heating up? That's a big question. There's global warming on Mars and Pluto. So it is happening as a natural event, and there's nothing even the one percenters can do trying to go down deep. Now, there'll be geographical changes, and it will be like going from Atlantis to Greece, a complete reboot of culture. Nothing. That Clovis culture has pictures of it. We knew about these 200 years ago, showing the sun burping and then crawling out of the cave to start the Incas or whatever they call them. Now, I'm telling you, uh, this is the second of a number of shoes that are about to fall down on the ground. And so there isn't really much any of us can do about it except understand that it is an opportunity to evolve spiritually. So if, let's assume then that... Uh, Am I coming on too hard? No, no, listen, I mean, uh, forewarned, forearmed. People, but there isn't, and, and so, you know, Jade Helm, some of the other things that are going on um, are distractions. But is that what they, they are preparing? I mean, there, there are rumors, for example, that uh, certain government agencies, uh, the, the Fed in, in, uh, in Chicago, I believe, is bugged out. Uh, that, that's a rumor. Yeah, and the Springfield, where I was in Springfield, that whole underground bunker is now active and, you know, major active. All the different underground bunkers at the different airports are now in active service. Yes. The, uh, the chemtrail uh, spring that we're seeing, this geoengineering program that's going on surreptitiously, uh, is that a, a last-ditch effort to forestall something that cannot be reversed because that this... That is correct. That buys them some time to do something else. We have, you know, there's going to be a problem even on Mars, and the problem is what's heating up the sun is planet 7X. It does exist. It is coming off elliptic out near Neptune. You can calculate it exactly precision. It is most likely a dead uh, dwarf uh, binary, and it's heavy. And because of that, it's changing the orbits, and it's uh, heating up, causing the sun to heat up. Now, that isn't most likely going to hit us, but... It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. And it's dragging a kind of a mini solar system along with it, is it not? Kind of. Well, 
Well, that is speculation on that. I don't know for a fact. Right. I can tell you that the calculations I've seen suggest that it's a single binary that uh, was five and a half times the size of the Earth and much denser, probably something out of solid nickel or something. So if we have to bug out, how do you time something like that? How do you know when it's time to bug out and move to Costa Rica? And That's, all. <laughs> That's the $64,000 question. Um, nobody really knows except higher pay grades than me. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm going to guess we're going to see the first ugly foot happen in September this year. I think the grid is going to collapse this year because of the way the sun has been acting recently, and that then Nibiru, or whatever they want to call it, will probably show up around 2017. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, I don't know where this is all going to go. What I'm doing is preparing meagerly for the lighter forms of uh, grid collapse. I can't afford to go underground to protect myself from a mini ice age. Few of us could. Well, there you go. That's the deal. I understand, Dr. Miller. What can we do to defend ourselves if we wanted to, quote, survive? Uh, I understand that uh, you have in your possession a 3D printer which you're using to manu- desktop manufacturing of a geometric dome. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we have a 3D portable 3D printer now that is putting up uh, 30-foot geodesic domes underground to prepare for the Ice Age made of cement. It takes 24 hours. We can print one in 24 hours. Is that right? A geodesic yeah, dome in 24 and hours. Then it goes back and reprints on top of that a magnesium oxide radiation shield for Fukushima. Now, here is the bad news. The bad news is that there are 400 Fukushimas whose switches are still on. And if we have a grid collapse, you don't have the opportunity to turn those off correctly. And if you don't turn those off correctly, and we have a mini ice age, that will cool everything to a point where you don't have a radiation problem until it thaws and your ancestors, not ancestors, but your future, crawls out of caves to restart civilization again. This has recurred 3,600 years uh, through time. There are a bunch of books out on it that are, I find, credible. Um, I, nobody knows for a fact, and well, I'm sure there are some, but my pay grade doesn't you know, let me know for a fact, and so it's difficult to plan. What I'm doing now is building sustainable lifeboats for the military, and we have aquaculture systems that feed certain bunkers that are very efficient, but an ice age is one thing different than a grid collapse. And if the grid collapses, that's survivable. And many ice age, there's going to be an extinction process. And there will be survivors. There always will be survivors. It's just you'll come out of the cave without electricity, and as everything starts to thaw, what happens next is all the reactors go critical, and there's no way that any life can form can live on Earth. 
All right, get the underground. We'll find out、uh, how we can live underground. Can we survive underground? Dr. Richard Allen Miller joining us from the Beaver State, Oregon, right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Uh, Dr. Richard Allen Miller is、uh, with us, and、uh, the prognosis, quite frankly, is、uh, bleak, beyond bleak.、Um, but you're saying that it is possible to survive, perhaps underground. And, and can, you, how do you, can you grow plants underground? Hydroponics,、uh, aquaculture. I have this one unit out on、uh, East Evans Creek. It's 258 feet long and has a throughput. Of 50,000 heads of lettuce every day, 24 7. It's a closed system using fish, so they're growing protein as well. And how many heads of lettuce are you producing? 50,000 per day. Wow.、Uh, we're talking little tiny seedlings. No, no. You start with a little a slip of a plant, and within seven days, you have a full, mature lettuce for harvest. How is that possible? It's、um, working with water rather than soil, or hydroponics, which works with a、uh, vermiculite nutrient form. It's very efficient and is、uh, extremely、uh, simple to run. They're simple. It's called aquaculture. And that's done underground? I'm sorry? And that can be done underground? Yes, it can.、Mm-hmm. You have different forms of LED lighting. That would be appropriate for certain groups of plants that require certain frequency bands for best growth production, just like marijuana, like halogen series. And, and how are you powering the LEDs? Usually, there's different ways of doing that.、Uh, there's options on that, your power source. Right now, one of the ones I do right here is I have a 35kW generator I run off of plants, I make solar alcohol. Solar alcohol. Yeah, that means that you're taking your <clears throat> biomass leaves and things like that and converting it into alcohol. You can drive an automobile like that. What do you make of Elron Musk's、uh, proposal, this, um, this uh, a battery to power your, your house? There's all different sources from rodent coils and free energy systems. The one that is best suited out here in Oregon. Is,、uh, and up where you are are buoys that rise and fall with the tide. Just that up and down motion generates current. And these buoys, I, when I was up in Nova Scotia, I saw 60 foot tidal changes on a daily basis. That's enough tidal change to probably power the entire eastern seaboard, just with、uh, rising and falling of the tide. And what about protein? What about protein? Well, <clears throat> we went to、um, Lost Creek. My, another assignment of mine was to go to the Lost Creek fish hatchery on the headwaters of the, of the Rogue River. 
and they have a fish hatchery there that's in full production, and that fish hatchery had three-year-old fish in full production that probably is enough protein to feed the entire state of Oregon. And how are These you... infrastructures are in place. Right. It just determined on whether and what's going to hit us first as to whether or not they're accessible or not. And so what I'm trying to do is design a sustainable lifeboat that can take into account almost everything. An ice age is a pretty difficult uh, problem. Right. Uh, yeah, that's one, lights course, out. That's lights out. It's a debris trail that would like, uh, make us remain look like Mars or the asteroid belt. Uh, but you're saying uh, that if we if if we can we that we could weather this uh, even a major uh, coronal mass ejection with, where the 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 grid oh, would the be down. Coronal damaged. mass ejection one it is really easy if you're even semi prepared, and everybody should be doing their garden. They should be having a small garden, not so much to feed themselves, but giving giving them the independence of feeling. At least semi-sovereign. All up in Toronto, where you live, I would guess that less than five percent of the food is actually grown in Toronto that's consumed there. The only thing we grow out here are houses. Well, then that's a, a excellent way to live and a good lifestyle to aspire toward, because that's what you're really seeking: sovereignty. And sovereignty has many faces, including entertainment. If I'm going to get back to the grid thing that we could talk about, the water part is only the first part of it. There's other uh, sections of food, for example, would be number two. And so the rule of three is you've got three minutes for air, three days for water, and three weeks for food. And once you get that, you realize that the food is everywhere, unless, of course, it's under snow. And so you can grow your food easily enough underground. We're already doing that on Mars. And so there are uh, systems out of aquaculture in Japan showing how massive banks of lights are being used to grow the food underground and uh, forever. Let I'm me just back you up there, Dr. Miller. Because... We have a mini ice age, the actual drop in temperature will drop probably something like 10 degrees per second going down to minus 100 Fahrenheit. It will be like the planet Mars. It won't last longer than probably two or three weeks. And then when you do poke your head back up on the surface to take access to sunlight as a power source, you probably will still not be able to see the Earth for another couple of years. I want to back you up there because you mentioned something about growing food underground on Mars. That's, oh, I that's, knew you'd pick that one up. <laughs> well, how could I not? That's news to me. We're coming up on a break, but just let's start this conversation now. What do you mean we are growing food underground We've on Mars? We've been on Mars for almost 40 years. I was part of the – we're doing like the Mars Project in Kailua right now where we're developing these geodesic domes for the surface of Mars. We have, you're saying we have a manned colony. Probably, yeah. Underground. Yeah. Right. I, when in 1968, I, I, when I was working for Boeing in 1970, I said, oh, okay, there is an article in Veterans Today. It just came out on my childhood. 
That's a good article to go check out. And I talk about the Mars Project there, where 1967, they tried nuclear exploration. Uh, they did a joint manned expedition to Mars one year before they landed on the moon. I have no idea whether that's survived or not, but that was 42 years ago. And, and with Stargates and the rest of these new inertialist uh, transportation systems that Boeing and others are developing now, uh, it's n- not a far cry to connect the dots and know we're already there. All right, let's take a time out back on the other side with Dr. Richard Allen Miller here on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Quite frankly, I don't know if I'm prepared to live underground like a gopher or a mole. Um, yeah. You know, I maybe maybe um, I'm. It's pretty awful thinking about it, isn't it? It's it's a, it's absolutely um, <laughs> it's a nightmare scenario. And yet, and yet, historically, you will see that that is the recurring pattern of man with various floods and other kinds of natural disasters. They crawl out of a cave. Underground tunnels? If you have a a mini ice age, for example, your frost lines are going to be to 10 feet up where you live. Right, right. So, I mean, you're going to have to have something between you and that just as insulation. Yes. It's survivable. It is, I suppose, if you can call it that. Yes, and that's the deal. So how, how the part of it is to move to a different part of the world, like Guatemala or Costa Rica. Now, even still, I personally think you're best to be with your family and your infrastructure of what you know and how you live. How large a, a compound or a complex 12 feet down are you going to have to construct? And how, how, could, how can anyone, the average person afford such an excavation? They can't. That's why there's going to be mass extinction. That's the deal. Just like that? Well, I'm a physicist. I'm not trying to pull punches. I'm just saying it as I can say it. And uh, basically, the movie, The Day After Tomorrow, is fairly accurate. You'll notice that even in, in New York City, there were survivors. I don't think burning a Gutenberg Bible is appropriate, but you get the idea. Well, I mean, you know, that, that movie is accurate scientifically. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I have noticed they have been playing that almost on an endless loop for the last six months. I see that movie on the TV guide on my screen at least uh, once every two weeks. I don't know that Hollywood has an advanced warning as much as it's probably about marketing and doomsday. That's an excellent movie. It's better in many ways than the 2012 or several of the other things. In fact, the geoengineering that you mentioned is basically a United Nations project. There's other... Levels are, like you said, layers of the onion and that kind of thing. But basically, that was to stave off an event that should have already occurred. The Gulf Stream is is changed, and it's stopped. And basically, several military have told me that that's what the BP oil spill was to stop. 
event that should have happened earlier. The the, the, all the all that was that was intentional in Europe are all messed up now. There used to be seven of them that we key off of. There's only three now that are active. How and could a excuse me, uh, Doctor Miller? He talks about that. But excuse uh, me, how how does it going a, on with the sun? The sun basically controls everything on Earth. Oh, I agree with that. I, I that is the one, um, uh, the key ingredient I think to to climate and change. The sun is heating up. The heliosphere is literally heating up. There is global warming on Mars and Pluto. And if the Earth has global warming, what happens is you change the desalinization of the sea, and that's what causes a mini ice age. I want to go back to the uh, the, the the BP oil spill. You're saying that that was intentional to forestall. I'm that I was told that it was. Right. How would that? I work? don't know that it was. I was told that it was. What, what what is the principle behind that? How would that work? Well, the basic currents and the way they loop out of the uh, the uh, Gulf Stream uh, are what hold and stabilize our weather patterns as they are. And if that changes, the planet has to go through a reboot where you have a superstorm. But again, I'm not sure how an oil spill would forestall well, that. Well, it stopped the currents from changing. I see. It slows them down. How's that? That's a better way to do it. Yeah, All right. Slowed it down. The viscous fluid in the ocean causing it to move slightly differently than it would otherwise tend to. That's the same thing they're doing now with shielding the sun. The volcanoes going off are a warning to you. The earthquakes going off are a warning to you that things are not natural right now. You know, you could and be wrong about the timing of rapidly. this. You could be wrong about the timing of this. Yes, could... I could. And, and what is the margin of error here? <laughs> I, I don't know. If I did know... I'd be saying so. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm guessing that what I'm seeing right now, we're going to have possibly a grid collapse this year sometime. I don't know how long it will be. And with more earthquakes and volcanoes going off, we absolutely are going to have some ocean current changes. This is because the sun is literally heating up right. and melting all the ice. I'm guessing the ocean is going to rise 60 meters, just like it did for Noah. All right, well, there you have it. <laughs> uh, that's well, my best guess, right. based on limited physics and information I have. There is something that is causing the sun to heat up. It isn't doing it naturally. It is a recurring event that has been written about in lots of books. The one I'm reading now by Gerald Clark is pretty good says something about the seventh planet, Mercury rising. That's an interesting book. His, his research is as an engineer, and he's solid. And so I'm impressed with his work. There are others. So there are, there are people in the, in the government that are, see, are speaking uh, uh, quietly about this, obviously. Uh, they, you know, they don't... Yeah, the thing that bothers me so much about that is in the movie 2012... When that guy in the White House said, it's for your own good. You know, we don't want you to panic because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. The problem I have is, he's not as smart as I am, and how does he have the right 
to make that decision for me. Precisely, precisely. Uh, do you suspect that the, not even the 1%, the 1% the of the 1% um, are essentially equipped to, to move off planet at this point? I think they're probably aliens. How's that one sound? For blood type and genome. Who knows? Listen, uh, I, these are the kinds of questions we probably, as, as the 99%, will never know. And the problem I'm having now <clears throat> with Rothschilds and the rest of it is they're in the same boat, and there's other things going on that are even creepier <clears throat> than the weather events. For example, CERN. CERN <clears throat> is basically um, a time machine. It's creating a time portal. I can run it down in the physics if you'd like, but basically... I, 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 I have this one video that talks about um, uh, he's an occultist. His background in the occult is as good as my own, so, you know, I'm, it's, scaring the, uh, it's scaring the pants off me. Well, we have a couple minutes. Let's talk about how the CERN collider is, is being used as a, as a time machine. That's correct. They're trying to create a portal to allow what one, they used to call Enlil back in, Apollo, the destroyer. And it's a group trying to bring about biblical prophecy. Now, whether or not that's real, um, this guy's analysis of it was creepy. And he was showing the dancing that they were doing. They were doing a weird ritual dance in, in CERN. And it was exactly the same that the whirling dervish and Gurdjieff talked about that um, changes space-time. Well, that is what basic certain forms of dance, like sound, will change space-time. And this whole concept of what's going on now, I don't get it. What I do know is we have an opportunity to rewrite the way the next civilization does it. We're going to hit the reset button. Capitalism and communism... Maybe we might go into communalism and barter. What are the what are the just give me the the, the basic physics behind how the, the CERN collider could be used as a time it machine? Created a god particle at the moment of the Big Bang. That reflected wave is a primary wave. Is our past? The future is a secondary wave. Uh, you can check out on how they talk about that on physics.org. <clears throat> Basically, a drop of water falls and hits a pool of water, and you form a cavitation ball of exclusion zone water that traps air inside it as a toroidal surface. It is what we call the second earth or into the out of. It is a new form of physics from MIT. Uh, with uh, Lawrence Le Leclerc, Mark Leclerc, and uh, what they, it's called cavitation ball. And basically, when the water drop hits the water, the outgoing wave, that's your future. There is a ingoing wave <clears throat> which slaps itself and creates a skin of water that captures air. And you see this behind submarines and things like that. <clears throat> They're called cavitation balls. 
<clears throat> and basically, inside the ball, the actual uh, topological surface is a torus twister, just like Roger Penrose would suggest at Princeton. That's remarkable. Uh, that's remarkable, if true. Um, if people want to, uh, you know, get serious, obviously, about uh, living off the grid um, for the foreseeable future, is there I a... Do um, workshops with Matt Stein. Um, we did the RK Prepper Show yes. in Indianapolis. There are others coming up in Atlanta and other cities. And that's where Mark, um, Matt Stein and I actually give presentations on preppers and what to do and, you know, what kinds of equipment work best and so on. Matt's books, uh, When Technology Fails, When Disaster Strikes, are exceptional books. My power tools for the 21st century is basically the protocols I trained Navy SEALs with to make them supermen. And some of that includes spirituality, where you look at things in metaphor and not focus on the big picture of disaster, because that's ever-present in all of our archetypal encounters. You know, I mean, it's just because it's the end days does not mean it has to be a bad thing. How do we, uh, how do we get a copy of um, uh, uh, Power Tools for the 21st Century? Um, you can go either to my website, richardallenmiller.com, A-L-A-N, or you can go to oak-publishing.com. Well, on that cheery note, uh, and again, I want to I offer this caveat. Uh, you, you might very well be... It's a pleasure to work with you. I like to play with you. You might all... Well, <laughs> play, yeah. Uh, this, you might very well be wrong. I mean, I want to leave people I, with you. Yes, that. and I'm, it, it would be wonderful. But my physics says we're going right into a brick wall, and it's time to really rethink what's important in your life. Indeed. Indeed. It's never too early or too late to do that. That's for sure. Dr. Uh, Richard Allen Miller, uh, thank you for this. Be well. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. My website, richardserrett.com. It is not the uh, CERN uh, Collider, but that is your portal, not to the future, not to the past, but to this radio program. Everything you need to know about The Conspiracy Show is right there, richardserrett.com. And... Uh, Please say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Uh, thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your camper, your RV, your earbuds. Great as always to be with you. 
Uh, very soon, you'll be able to take The Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. Our app, very close to completion. Uh, I believe we're just waiting approval from the iTunes store, and then we'll make a, a formal announcement and we'll launch it. Perhaps I'll convince our app developer, Sharon Forster, to come on the program and walk us through this remarkable piece of software. It is truly amazing. I can't wait for the uh, for the big reveal, so stay tuned. Uh, Albert and Eric, the interns, are here. Uh, Tim is uh, looking at us through the glass darkly from the other side, the other studio, where he's uh, twisting knobs and dials and uh, working his technical uh, wonders. We've got a bit of a, a primer for you this evening. Uh, Dr. Susan Shumsky is standing by to discuss how to develop third-eye supersensory perception. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, people have this idea that because I host a conspiracy show and I spend a lot of time talking about the paranormal and metaphysics, uh, that I must be very intuitive. But I don't, I don't consider myself to be intuitive at all. Uh, if I have a third eye, it's probably developing a cataract. <laughs> Although, uh, having said that, uh, I did have some success with a couple of uh, remote viewing experiments with uh, Dr. Douglas James Cottrell on this very program. So who knows? Maybe there's hope for my uh, myopic third eye yet. We'll find out. Uh, I want to mention some sad news. Uh, you may recall a few months back I interviewed Bruce McBurney about the 100-mile-per-gallon engine and uh, also, we, uh, we did a separate interview, a, a separate program, about colloidal silver. Uh, and I mentioned a few weeks back how I had uh, gone down to Niagara Falls to visit Bruce at his home. He gave me and the, uh, the mighty Aphrodite several bottles uh, of his colloidal silver. And then, coincidentally, a few weeks after that, we had that, that fire at our place. And both of us suffered rather serious burns to our hands. Uh, and we soaked our hands in the colloidal silver, and despite the uh, the severity of the burns, I never had one moment of pain, not even mild discomfort, uh, which I attribute, that's me speaking, That's I'm not telling you this is the way it is for anyone else, but for me, uh, I, I attributed that to the colloidal silver. Anyway, um, I received an email earlier this week that Bruce McBurdy passed away. Suddenly, in his home in Niagara Falls, he was just 60 years old. And I don't have any other details. Uh, I understand that uh, Bruce was uh, cremated. Um, anyway, I want uh, to send his friends and family uh, my prayers. And I want them to know that uh, my, my thoughts are with them. My prayers are going out to them. Um, Bruce McBurney, may his memory be eternal. Uh, I think next week what I'll do is I'll play a bit of our last conversation um, during the show as a tribute. Bruce McBurney. Again, passed away about a week ago. Suddenly in his home, he was 60. Sleep well, Bruce. Here's something interesting. Um, recently, we were, we, we were speaking with uh, Dr. Richard Allen Miller. Now, that was not a joyful show, let me tell you. Uh, pretty bleak. Uh, talking about what's coming our way. A, a coronal mass uh, ejection to start with. Uh, followed by... Uh, perhaps a mini ice age, uh, and then it pretty well goes downhill from there. <laughs> However, um, he was talking about uh, CERN, the uh, the um, the collider there, and how it's uh, perhaps being used to open up some sort of a time portal. Well, today is a rather interesting day in history because if we we dial back to the uh, Back to the Future movies. Remember Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox's character in Back to the Future? Today is the day 
he traveled to in the future. May 3rd, 2015. Which, of course, leads me to ask, if a time machine has been invented at some point in the future, where are all the time travelers? And But then that, it's a simple answer. It's a simple answer. You can only... I learned this from uh, Ronald Mallet, the uh, theoretical physicist from the University of Con uh, Connecticut. You can only travel back in time to the day when a time machine is turned on. So if a time... If time travel is achieved, let's say, in 2115, 100 years from now, from today, let's say, the next day, someone, someone could theoretically travel back in time one day to May 2nd, sorry, to May 3rd, uh, 2115. Uh, in 2215, time travels, travelers could travel back to 2115, but not before, not one day before a time machine is activated. That's something for you to chew on for a little while. Anyway, uh, interesting article in the, uh, the slide carousel at uh, richardserrett.com. I mentioned this um, earlier as well, but um, it's, a, it's an article about the, uh, the spiritual lives of the four lads from Liverpool, the Beatles. At the height of their fame in the mid-60s, they all professed uh, to being atheists, and then came their trip to India, where they were... Um, they became acquainted with the Maharishi Maharishi Yogi. And of course, I mean, that just changed the culture. George Harrison picked up a sitar, uh, the, the sitar, and uh, the music changed. Uh, and um, that sort of began the, the psychedelic era in, in rock music. And of course, George Harrison uh, avidly embraced Eastern mysticism. Well, it's interesting because my next guest is also a former close associate of the Maharishi, Maharishi. Uh, she herself has practiced meditation and other spiritual disciplines for nearly half a century. And uh, she's here tonight to talk about developing our sixth sense, the inner eye, that could open the gateway to subtler realms of existence, enabling us to view previously invisible worlds of multiple dimensions, spiritual planes filled with light, alternate realities of indescribable wonders. This eye of wisdom... Knowledge, illumination, and intuition is aptly named the third eye. Dr. Susan Shumsky is an award-winning author of 11 books, including The Power of Chakras, The Power of Auras, and Ascension. And her brand new book is titled Awakening Your Third Eye. Susan, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm, I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. Richard? Well, I tell you, we can use a bit of a pick-me-up a pick because we, uh, we recently had a rather a necessary but very dire conversation with Dr. Richard Allen Miller about certain cataclysmic events heading our way, extinction-type events. Uh, let's just put that aside, uh, if we can. And uh, let's, when, when we, talk, we talk about the third eye, um, is that the, are we talking about the pineal gland? Actually, the pineal gland is associated with the third eye, but the third eye is not in your physical body. It's in your subtle body. The pineal gland is in your physical body, but the third eye is uh, one of the subtle energy centers or chakras within your subtle body, and it is associated with and it is located near the, the pineal gland area. Uh, but but does awakening that third eye have anything to do with the pineal gland? It does, as a matter of fact. And it has been known to do that throughout the ages. 
As a matter of fact, you're going to see, literally see, because I have a few slides here that you can look at. For example, if we go to uh, this one slide, which is number nine, which is a picture of Ankar Wat, which is one of the largest, I think it's the largest temple in the world in Cambodia. And you'll see there that there are these pine cone shapes that are the turrets of this temple. The pine cone is very uh, prevalent throughout the ages in reference to spirituality. This is one example. And why is that? Well, the pineal gland is called, it is so named because uh, that means pine cone. Uh, pineal means pine cone. Ah, and, uh, it, and the pineal gland itself, if you uh, dissect a corpse, you'll see that the pineal gland looks a little bit like a pine nut or a pine cone. So that's just one example of, of it being in religious architecture. Another one would be number 15, which is the courtyard of the, uh, of the pine cone courtyard, number 15, yes. which is at the Vatican. And uh, that's the biggest pine cone statue in the entire world. And, of course, in that religious structure of the Vatican, and also, the Pope carries a staff with a pine cone on it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. So the and pine cone is very important in, in that uh, culture as well, in the, in the Catholic culture. And, in fact, in ancient Greece, if you look at number eight, you'll see a picture of um, the Thyrsus. And the Thyrsus is a, uh, a pine cone on top of a fennel stalk, with a ribbon around it, and this was carried by uh, various ancient Greek gods, including Dionysus, also known as Bacchus in in Rome, uh, in in Greece it's known as uh, Dionysus, and the Manads also carried this staff, and it has a pine cone on the top. Uh, so the pine cone is seen throughout various cultures. It's also uh, number ten. There's a picture of a, of a genie from uh, Assyria, and uh, the genie has a pine cone in his hand, and he's blessing, he's giving blessing with the pine cone. There's some sacred ointment in his other hand that he's using uh, as a blessing. So the pine cone represents this pineal gland, and the ancients knew about it. They knew about the pineal gland and how it was related to the third eye or the eye of illumination. Dr. Susan Ashumsky is with us. Her uh, new book is titled Awaken Your Third Eye, How Accessing Your Sixth Sense Can Help You Find Knowledge, Illumination, and Intuition. And uh, if you're listening, you'll notice that she's referring to a number of slides, and those can be seen on our HOA, our Hangout On Air. And all you have to do is go up to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, and uh, we've, we've added a new link. We had um, a little difficulty earlier on in the program, so we've, uh, we've put out a new HOA link. So just click on that. That'll take you to the live stream. And uh, we've got a bit of a slideshow going there as well. Now, um, the, how, how does the Catholic Church of the Vatican, uh, how do they explain away? <laughs> uh, because I'm, I'm guessing that the Pope isn't talking about the pineal gland and awakening your third eye and illumination and so forth. How, how do they explain the presence, um, the almost the... Uh, omnipresence of this of this um, uh, pine cone throughout uh, the Vatican. Yeah, that's a good question. We should ask him. <laughs> 
Just a, just a, just an ornamental thing, I suppose. All right, we'll uh, take a time out, come back, and we'll find out how we can all activate that third eye. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Susan Shumsky is with us. Awaken your third eye. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the ancient Greeks, and um, my uh, my boys are half Greek, and uh, absolutely just nuts about. Uh, um, uh, about uh, Greek mythology, and um, and Cyclops, of, of course, uh, uh, figures large in Greek mythology. Uh, now, the, the Cyclops, of course, has one eye, but it's sort of right in the middle of the of the the forehead. Does that at all relate to the third eye? I do believe that it does. If you look at slide number eighteen, there's a picture of Polyphemus, and he was the Cyclops, the son of Poseidon, ran into. He was the son of Poseidon, I believe. That's correct. He was. And when Homer visited the island there, the Cyclops Island, he ran into Polyphemus and all of his, all of Homer's uh, soldiers, all of his staff were uh, captured. And this big monster, he ate a couple of them. He made a meal out of them. And Homer distracted him by getting him drunk, and then when he was completely drunk, he, what he did is he struck his third eye with a firebrand, uh, and uh, that's how he was able to escape. He barely escaped with his life, and so did the men that were left that right. were still alive. So if you look at number 18, you see a picture of, uh, of Polyphemus, uh, the Cyclops, and I do believe that this is related to the third eye because the eye in the middle of the forehead is a is a representation of the third eye. Although the third eye is located in the pineal gland area, it's also located in this uh, forehead area. It's known as the brow chakra, by the way, and it's also like located in the back of the head. It's located throughout the head in three basic. Uh, different areas of the head but in fact the third eye is uh, what is known as the agya chakra and uh that's what it's called in sanskrit it's agya chakra there's a representation of that on number slide number five the third eye uh, agya chakra uh, and it's depicted that way in india and and uh Sorry, I, I wanted to I wanted to go back to the the Old Testament. Uh, are there any any uh, clues or or references, veiled or otherwise, to this third eye in the Old Testament? Uh, as a matter of fact, not much. But there was a one incident where Jacob was wrestling with an angel, and after he had wrestled with the angel, he called the place Peniel, and. That's a Hebrew word, and it means face of God. And the reason he called it that, so with the angel, he saw the face of God. Now, this makes sense to me, Richard, because the third eye throughout the ages has been associated with higher experiences, higher expressions, spiritual experiences. So what, what this implies is that as a Jacob was wrestling with the angel, he saw the face of God, and that face of God is seen by people who experience the third eye. 
who awaken the third eye through inner illumination, that is the place within your subtle body where you're going to be able to see the face of God because you're seeing things that are hidden from view. And also there was another reference in the New Testament where Jesus was saying that if your eye is single, then your whole body will be filled with light. And he was also referring to the third eye in that passage. He was referring not only to the third eye, but also to the fact that if you have a single intention, if you are very strong with your intention and single-minded, that you will be able to manifest anything in your life. All right. Well, let's start to to wade into uh, how one uh, attempts to awaken this this third eye. But before we do that, I mean, you mentioned, you know, seeing the face of God and, and so forth. What, why would one want to awaken the, uh, the third eye? Uh, what are the advantages? There's a lot of advantages to it. Uh, the main advantage is, uh, is the reality that it is the eye of illumination and that, that you're going to experience reality. You're going to be able to see the truth, know the truth, and experience the truth of your being. So you'll be able to attain higher states of consciousness through awakening your third eye. So that's the main advantage. But there's other advantages, too. For example, you're able to awaken your clairvoyant, clairaudient, and clairsentient uh, ESPs. You could call it ESP, but I call it supersensory perception or subtle sensory perception. That means that you're able to see things hidden from view, you're able to experience things that are not normally experienced through your physical sensory apparatus. You're able to experience not only clear seeing, which is clairvoyance, clear feeling, which is clear, uh, clairsentience, and clear hearing. You're able to hear things that, are, that you don't normally hear. For example, being able to communicate with divine beings, being able to communicate with beings of light, the deities, angels, archangels, and to see realms of light and divine realms, higher realms. And in fact, you can see lower realms too when you have that awakened. But you can learn to discern. Discernment is also part of awakening your third eye, being able to tell what is, what is truly of value, what is truly highest wisdom for you. Uh, so you get smarter when you awaken your third eye. Okay. Now, the, um, the all-seeing eye. I was mentioning occult symbols in American logos and, and so forth. And we have on the back of the U.S. dollar bill, of course, the all-seeing eye atop the pyramid, Horace's eye. Uh, is this the same thing? Or what is the connection between the all-seeing eye and the, um, uh, the, uh, the third eye? Okay, so uh, there, there's a picture of the Great Seal here. If you look at number 24, the United States Great Great Seal, there's a slide on that. And on the back of the U.S. dollar bill, you'll see this symbol. Okay, as soon as the Declaration of Independence was signed, immediately they started to design a Great Seal. But it was designed by various committees, and finally uh, this design uh took place, uh, the eye, known as the Eye of Providence, that's what this is actually on the capstone of the pyramid, is the Eye of Providence. And the reason why the Eye of Providence is important is because many of our founding fathers, especially George Washington, he believed that Providence had uh, guided 
the founding of this country. He felt that there were so many uh, incidences of divine intervention that he had to admit that definitely there was uh, there was divine intervention that God really put his hand directly into the founding of this country. Uh, so that's why we have the Eye of Providence uh, in, on the Great Seal. But there's also an all-seeing eye, for example, uh, and that's a Masonic symbol. Right. If you look at the number 20, the slide number 20, you'll see an all-seeing eye on that, what they call the tracing board. Yes, uh, there it Which is. is one of the Masonic things that they, they use, these tra- they still use these tracing boards and these various emblems. So this all-seeing eye, the Masons say that this is completely different from the Eye of Providence. The Eye of Providence is a symbol of divine intervention, of direct intervention by God in human affairs. The all-seeing eye is a symbol of passive watchfulness. So this symbol, the Masonic symbol, uh, they say that uh, this is definitely the most important uh, one of the most important of their symbols is on a lot of their tracing boards, right? And it represents God, and it represents God's passive watchfulness over humanity. It's like a pr- protective eye. It, it sounds to me, uh, Susan, that the, uh, the 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 eye of providence. Uh, I mean, that has gotten a bad rap when we when we uh, you know ordo. Uh, Novus Ordo Seclorum, right? The New World Order. The uh, the the um, right. the all-seeing eye is um, uh, wrapped up with the Illuminati and the New World Order. Why? How did yeah. that happen? How did that happen? Well, I'm not exactly sure how it happened because the reality is that there there were no Masons involved with the design of the. <laughs> there were no Masons involved with the design of the of the Great Seal, and. Uh, the Eye of Providence, uh, th- that eye, it's actually a symbol in Renaissance art. That's where it came from. Right. And it's really, I don't know about Illuminati or anything, but I, but I do know that the uh, the motto, Novus Ordo Seclorum, yes. that it, what it means literally is the beginning of the new American era, according to the person that actually designed the seal. His name was... Thompson, and he was a very important uh, member of Congress at the time, uh, was an advocate for the cause of African slaves and for Native Indians. He was the most highly respected member of Congress, and he was the Secretary of Congress at the time, and he's the one that actually came up with the final design. And he was not a Mason. There you go. Stop the presses. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, something tells me, though, that that um, there will be still those out there who will uh, object to that. However, uh, thank you for clarifying. I'm just t- telling you the facts. Yes. You know? No. I, I, yeah, Washington was a Mason, but he didn't have anything to do with the design. All right. Now back to the um, the all-seeing eye, and and or the uh, rather the third eye. Uh, what are the steps? Let, let's begin this discussion. The steps on uh, learning to awaken this this third eye. What do we do? Well, in my book, Awaken Your Third Eye, uh, actually, I think maybe you have the book up there right we now. We do. There it is. How about that? Right now. Okay. 
So uh, in my book, Awaken Your Third Eye, uh, I have a lot of exercises and very helpful advice on how to awaken your uh, clairvoyant, clairsentient, and clairaudient abilities. And I'll give you a few tips uh, right now on the show. Uh, it's really not that difficult. Everybody already has these powers within them. For example, uh, if you go into a building and you notice a, kind of a bad vibe in that building, let's say you go into a bar or a prison or a, a mental institution or, for example, a uh, maybe a nursing home right. or a hospital, you'll just feel this kind of yucky, icky vibration there. It, it, just, it feels dense. The atmosphere feels dense. Uh, sometime, another time you might go into a place that has a wonderful vibration, like maybe a sacred site or a, a sacred building, and you feel uplifted by that vibration. Or when you meet somebody for the first time, you might r- immediately feel as if that this person is very warm and friendly, this person is very open. Then you meet another person who appears to be very cold or uh, maybe uptight or angry. Uh, you can sense a difference when you meet different people. And uh, it, it actually is an indication that everyone has these abilities and they can develop them. So in my book, Awaken Your Third Eye, I teach a lot of different techniques for helping you to develop these abilities. For example, uh, if you've ever used uh, magic eye uh, pictures, those are the embedded pictures where uh, they just like look like a bunch of, uh, of shapes and colors, and then you stare at them with soft focus vision, right. and immediately this third eye, this third dimensional image will pop out of the picture. Yes, I've done that. It's and, quite remarkable. And then you cannot not yeah. see it after that. <laughs> and then you can't not see it, right. So it is, uh, that's a good exercise for helping you develop what's known as soft focus vision. And that helps you to develop your uh, clairvoyant or clear-seeing ability. I thought that was more it kind of a left-brain, right-brain type of thing, but you're saying no. That has to do- It has to do with the focus of the eyes. Right. It has to do with seeing each eye separately rather than both eyes converging on one point, which is the hard focus, which is what we usually do when we, when we use our eyes. We're focusing on one spot with both eyes, but if one eye is separate from the other, that's the way that you're able to see this uh, third-dimensional object. So soft-focus vision is a key to developing clairvoyant abilities, outer clairvoyant abilities, shall we say, with eyes open. Another thing you might do is try mirror gazing, where you just sit in front of a mirror and in a darkened room is even better, and you gaze with a soft-focus vision maybe at your own forehead or at uh, the curve of your neck or something, you'll, you'll just see yourself with self-focused vision, and that helps you to develop this clairvoyant ability. Another one is what we call traffic meditation, which is candle gazing or gazing at an object. It doesn't have to be a candle flame, but it can be any kind of object. You could, for example, put a face of a divine being or a saintly person and stare into their eyes, or you can uh, stare at a, a candle, a lit candle, or gaze at the sky or a star or the horizon. So I teach you how to do that in my book, Awaken Your Third Eye. These are some meditation methods. But also in my book, I teach a lot of 
of very ancient yogic practices that are really powerful for helping you to awaken your third eye. Some of these practices involve yoga uh, asanas, which means yoga postures, also pranayama, which means breathing exercises, also what's called bandhas, which are muscular locks, and mudras, which are specific gestures or things that you do with your body in specific positions. So these are powerful, and they are definitely time-tested, time-proven methods for awakening your third eye, and they, they really work. They awaken your kundalini, kundalini energy, which is the life force energy that goes up the center of your spine, and they help you to awaken your third eye. Is this a lifelong um, uh, you know, spiritual practice? I mean, can it take a lifetime, or will some people be able to awaken their third eye in a relatively short period of time? How long does it take? I think that people can make very quick progress in the atmosphere of the world as it is now. When I started, first started practicing spiritual methods in 1966-1967, the world was very dense. Now the world has become very much lighter, and people are able to have uh, spiritual experiences very quickly now that they were not able to do before. So it's uh, really powerful uh, that now the world is on a higher vibrational level, and people are able to experience the third eye much more quickly. All right, I hear that music percolating up. So um, we're going to take a time out here, Susan. We'll come back on the other side. I'm wondering whether this third eye might be uh, the reason uh, uh, people see UFOs, for example, uh, or ghosts. Awaken Your Third Eye, How Accessing Your Sixth Sense Can Help You Find Knowledge, Illumination, and Intuition. Susan Shumsky, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Uh, welcome back. Before we get back to uh, Susan Shumsky, I just want to mention this, uh, because I was uh, talking about uh, on this date, uh, this was when Marty McFly supposedly traveled into the future and arrived May 3rd uh, or May 4th, 2015. And I just got this uh, email from uh, Daniel, and he says, Richard, please check your information again. You're absolutely wrong about the fictitious date that Marty McFly traveled into the future. It was not May 4th, 2015. It was October 26, 2015. He went back to November 5th, 1955, returned on November 12th, 1955, to October 26th, 1985. Over the years, Daniel writes, I must have watched this movie over 20 times and have never heard the date May 4th, 2015. Or May 3rd. The other time travel movie of the year was a Francis Ford Coppola classic, Peggy Sue Got Married. I have them both in my collection. Take care, man. Still listening. Well, Dan, you thank you for that. However, we have um, I, I, we've grabbed a, um, a still. Um, um, it's a picture online, and it was from the DeLorean, um, the cockpit of the DeLorean, of course. And um, we'll try and post that. But it says, I think, it's pretty clear there. May 3rd, 2015. However, we'll get to the bottom of that. My crack crew, uh, Albert and Eric, the interns, are, are looking into that, and they're uh, writing me a cryptic message as we speak. However, we'll just leave that aside for now. Daniel, you may be right, but we're looking into it. The cockpit, or the, uh, the dashboard on the DeLorean, seems to indicate that it was May 3rd. Eric's holding up a sign. What does it say, Eric? Um... Oh, it, okay, that, the, that shot may be fake. All right, perhaps. All right, that's okay. 
Back to Susan Shumsky. We're talking about awakening the third eye. And uh, I wonder whether the increase, uh, you know, people seeing uh, UFOs and so forth, is that related to awakening the third eye, Susan? Uh, Yes, absolutely. I do believe that it is because I believe that some of these experiences that people are having are experiences of subtle realms of existence. They're not necessarily experiences of the physical world that we are living on. So people are having experiences of subtle beings, of light beings, of higher beings, of lower beings, (laughs) all all kinds of non-physical beings. And you don't have those experiences unless you have your third eye awakened to some degree. Now, people, uh, you know, we're, we're told, according to this UN report, that since 1947, something like 150 million people have seen uh, UFOs. Now, not everyone who sees a UFO, you know, has studied, uh, uh, you know, taken on this spiritual practice and so forth. So does that mean that for some people, the third eye is just, it's, it's awakened, it's, it's active since birth? Is there a genetic component here? Mm-hmm. So uh, the thing is that we develop certain skills throughout our lifetime. For example, you might become a really great piano player throughout your lifetime, and you worked really hard at it. All right, so I, a lot of things make a lot of sense when you believe in reincarnation, and I believe in reincarnation. So when you go into your next life, you might be a child prodigy. You have so many skills. You have such a strong skill in the piano that now you're a child prodigy. And so from lifetime to lifetime, you don't lose your skills. Your skills are still there in your subconscious mind. They're actually stored in your subtle body. Your subtle body does not die. It's just your physical body that drops off at death. Your subtle body still uh, is completely alive. Really, nothing happens at death except for the, the, the gross physical body no longer functions. But your subtle body moves with you, and it moves with you from lifetime to lifetime. And that's where all your skills and abilities are stored. So, for example, if you have developed spiritual uh, powers or if you've developed supersensory perception, that will continue with it with you from lifetime to lifetime. Uh, and remote viewers, um, again, being able to perceive objects and locations that are hidden from plain view, sometimes over great mm-hmm. distances, sometimes even, you know, uh, across time. So they are, in, yes, they are transcending space and time. Again, is that being achieved through the third eye, remote viewing? Definitely. That's where they're, they're viewing. They're actually viewing with the third eye. Now, the third eye is a third eye, but it's not a third eyeball. You can't really call it a third eyeball. Right. But there are some species, uh, for example, lizards and some other species, where it, it is really does have the ability to sense or to sort of see things. And in humans, the embryonic human being does have photoreceptor cells in the third eye or pineal gland area. And uh, the most uh, stunning discovery of recent years in 2013, whereas Rick Strassman and his team, he wrote the book, The Spirit Molecule. Yeah, DMT. What he, he discovered was that uh, in rodents, which are our cousins, they are mammals, he discovered that the uh, pineal gland is manufacturing DMT, which is dimethyltryptamine. Right. 
And dimethyltryptamine has been known for a very long time to be associated with unusual experiences, experiences of hidden realms, experiences of out-of-body experiences of other uh, beings, higher beings, light light beings, and being able to communicate with these beings. Uh, As a matter of fact, the Amazon has become a tourist destination now. Ayahuasca. Because people, people are going there, right, to experience ayahuasca. And ayahuasca is a plant medicine. Uh, of the uh, indigenous uh, Indians there in South America, and that plant medicine is made of uh, mostly of DMT. <laughs> uh, when I was a hippie in the 60s, people used to used to use DMT to have these unusual psychedelic experiences, and DMT was the most intense psychedelic being used at that time. Uh, people would have a very quick, uh, intense shall we say, trip, a psychedelic trip, where they'd have all these amazing experiences with DMT. So I think it's a stunning discovery that has been made by Strassman and his team, the Cottonwood uh, Research Group, that they have discovered DMT in mammals being produced by the pineal gland because it just underscores the fact that the pineal gland is definitely associated with the agya chakra or the sixth chakra, the third eye chakra. And, and you're saying that uh, 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 prenatal, um, the, yeah, the embryonic, the, the, embryonic the, the, the pineal gland has photoreceptors, and, and then they, do they just do they recede and disappear as we get older? Yeah, yes, they do. As a matter of fact, the pineal gland calcifies as we get older as well. That's why children have more higher sensory perception than adults is because this pineal gland gets calcified through a lot of it has to do with fluoridated water and other toxins that we put in our bodies uh, which cause the pineal gland to to calcify. That's why they put they're so insistent on putting fluoride in the water perhaps is they don't want us to open up the third eye. We'll continue to discuss with Susan Shumsky Awaken Your Third Eye, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Susan, uh, this is The Conspiracy Show, so I have to ask you. I mean, uh, you mentioned that as we, uh, we, we get older, the pineal gland uh, tends to calcify, uh, which makes it harder for us to, to perceive these other realms. Um, and I'm, I'm, you mentioned that one of the culprits in the calcification of the pineal gland is fluoride. Is there a connection? Yeah. Do you think that this was de- deliberate in order to stifle our intuition, our ESP, our e- uh, and, and our ability to perceive other realms? I think that's a valid question. And who knows if there were nefarious intentions at work when the water was uh, fluoridated. Actually, almost every nation in the world has stopped putting, has stopped putting fluoride in the water. Uh, America is, unfortunately, uh, we are consuming more fluoride than all other nations combined. Yes, uh, a number of municipalities up here in Canada have voted to to stop the fluoridation of the water. Right. Now, in Europe, they don't, but I understand they, 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 get, they get you another way. They put it in the table salt. Oh. <laughs> so there's no escape, the I shame. guess. Yeah, it's the shame. But, in fact, you can decalcify the pineal gland. And in my book, Awaken Your Third Eye, I have a whole list of things you can do 
including um, it so happens the borax is a is a, a, a good way to to decalcify it, and you can get borax very safely if you take homeopathic borax or if you just take it in very minuscule amounts. But I have a whole list of other things, too, that can help you to decalcify your pineal gland, and I, I think it's worthwhile to do that because it will help you to develop your supersensory ability. However, I don't think that uh, the calcification of the pineal gland is uh, a complete obstacle to people being able to develop their third eye simply because the third eye is in your subtle body. It's not in your gross physical body. Right, right. <clears throat> how, would you, how would you rate your third eye vision? Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be flippant here, but, you know, we tend to think of, we, we, we use terms like 20-20 and so forth. I mean, how, how, how does your third eye operate? I think it operates quite well. And what I found is that people have better third-eye vision with their eyes closed than with their eyes open because you can see things hidden from view better if you close your eyes. So, for example, if I teach a class on reading auras, and I've written a book called um, The Power of Auras, and I, uh, I teach people a lot of different uh, seminars where I help them to develop these abilities. And what I do is I have people sit two by two, and they just sit in front of each other. But instead of trying to see the aura of the other person with their eyes open, they can see it better if they close their eyes, and then they can report to the person what they're able to see with their third eye. And it really works. What's a trepanation? Is that related to trepaning, where they would drill holes in a, in a skull? Yeah. Yeah, actually, there was a... Uh, book that came out in the 1950s. It was called The Third Eye, and it was written by this British guy who claimed that a Tibetan lama had taken over his body and that he was, you know, sort of like being possessed by this Tibetan. And the Tibetan supposedly went through this uh, hair-raising procedure where they drilled a uh, hole in his skull in the third eye uh, area. And as a result of that, he was able to have higher sensory perception. He was able to suddenly have clairvoyant vision. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's I don't know if the book is a fantasy or if it really happened or what. But some people have taken up this practice. I do not recommend people trying this at home, drilling no. holes in your skull. But what they claim, the, the theory is that just like... A baby, when it's first born, uh, has a soft spot on the top of their head, and it allows the brain to enlarge and get bigger. Similarly, if a person drills a hole in their skull, supposedly, it helps them to be able, their brain to be able to, what what shall we say, breathe better or get bigger or something. And they claim that it has benefits, but... Please don't try this, folks. No, but there, there were there, they have uncovered uh, you know uh, skulls and so forth from ancient uh, civilizations where this was common practice. It was, especially for example in Peru, they they found a lot of uh, skulls in Peru where they drilled holes, and some of the skulls that they found were due to surgical operations to try to uh, relieve pressure, but some of them. Uh, they believe, were for ceremonial purposes, uh, perhaps, to help people to awaken their uh, supersensory perception. So um, when people are, they believe that they are perceiving, uh, perhaps through the third eye, a spiritual world, they see, they're able to see uh, ghosts. 
Um, what, to your mind, what are they actually perceiving? Are they, are they seeing the the uh, the the, uh, the spirit bodies of of people that have passed over, or are they simply perceiving the the denizens of uh, a, another dimension? Okay, so there's several dimensions that a person could tap into when they're seeing with their inner vision. There's the spiritual world, the mental world, the astral world, and the environmental world. So these are all, these, these worlds uh, are different worlds than this physical, this gross physical manifest creation that we're seeing through our, the two eyes. We see the two, through our two eyes, we see this world. But what we see through our subtle sensory perception is we see these other levels of uh, there are other lokas. Loka means world in Sanskrit. There are other areas. And these, uh, in these other areas, you're going to, for example, in the spiritual plane, you'll be able to uh, see and communicate with divine beings, with beings of light, with angels, archangels, deities, and also with your beloved uh, departed who have gone into the light after death, uh, those would be beings who are living in the spiritual world. Then in the mental world, what you're basically tapping into is your own beliefs, habits, conditioning, thoughts, ideas, opinions, uh, your own belief systems, which are BS, your belief systems, your, the things that, that you've been brainwashed to believe, basically. Then there's a, something called the astral world, and on the astral world, you're going to meet these kind of uh, beings who are stuck or stranded or souls who did not go into the light after death. I'm sure that you've probably interviewed people who've had the near-death experience, and uh, those who have the near-death experience, they see this bright, brilliant, beautiful light. They go into the light. They have a divine experience. They see, perhaps see a divine being. But there are some beings who, after death, they really don't go into this light. They get stuck. They get stranded. They get lost. And for there's, I've counted 14 basic reasons why a soul would not go into the light after death. They get stuck or they refuse to go or whatever it is. There's, there's different reasons why a soul would not go into the light. And so they remain in what's known as the astral plane. And in the astral plane, you can meet these beings. Uh, I mean, I don't suggest you go there <laughs> at all. But that is where people might tap into these lower beings or even demonic beings, mischievous beings, malevolent beings, uh, even demonic beings are living in this astral world. And so there's a whole array of beings that are lower beings that live in the astral plane that are very dangerous to be associated with. It's and a great album. Still, it's a great album, Astral Weeks by Van Morrison, but you're saying it's not a great place to uh, to go. How do you, are there what are the ground rules for tra, you know traversing these realms safely for navigating these realms in a safe way? Right. So I have a whole 10 test system uh, to help people to be able to contact and communicate with divine beings who are in the spiritual world and to avoid being in contact with beings that are in the astral world because they're not going to be helping you. And in fact, uh, I also teach people how to help the lost souls to move on into the light. 
so that they no longer are stuck and miserable in the astral world, help them to move on, help them to actually go into the spiritual world. So I have a system for that that I teach in several of my books, including the book Awaken Your Third Eye. And uh, it's important for people to learn discernment, to learn how to navigate these inner planes and to avoid uh, dangerous situations and to be able to communicate clearly with the divine realm, with divine beings who are living in the true spiritual world. Uh, something just occurred to me. One of the orders of angels, I'm not sure if it's the seraphim, uh, have, um, are said to have many eyes on their wings. Is there oh, a, that's interesting. Is there a connection there? That's fascinating. I never heard of that, but that's fascinating. I think that if they have many eyes on their wings, that, that is a symbol that's telling us that they're watching over us. Right. They're protecting us. So that's why they have all these eyes uh, watching us. It's, it's just like the all-seeing eye of God. It's the same kind of idea. Uh, this watchful, benevolent being who is uh, who is protecting us, basically. What, so, what is the ultimate purpose then of of the third eye? Is it to is it to um, to know God? Actually, the ultimate purpose of the third eye is to know truth. Is to perceive truth. Uh, the third eye in India is called the Agya Chakra. And this particular chakra uh, has a deity associated with it, and that deity is uh, Jupiter, the planet Jupiter. Every, every chakra has a planet actually associated with it. Jupiter, in, in the Sanskrit language, the planet Jupiter is called Guru. So guru, we know the word guru, it means inner teacher or preceptor, the preceptor of the gods is Jupiter. So what the uh, third eye is, is it is an inner teacher that can guide you on your pathway and to show you the truth, to help you to realize reality, to develop your higher self, to realize, to have self-realization. And self-realization means to know who you really are, and to uh, develop yourself spiritually, and to uh, truly have the realization of who you really are, your true self, and to attain ultimate spiritual enlightenment in that way. And what does that mean? It means to be free, to attain freedom, or moksha, freedom from this round of birth and death that we're continually going on lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, to be free of that to no longer be in suffering, to be in the state of illumination, the state of pure consciousness, the state whereby you know the truth, you see the truth, you experience the truth, you are the truth. And it sets you free. Where can people get a hold of the the book, Awaken Your Third Eye, Susan? I recommend that people get it on Amazon. To get it, uh, Amazon.com. Okay. Awaken Your Third Eye is available there. Also on my website, drsusan.org. I do have a website, drsusan.org. And I also have another website called divinetravels.com. That's D-I-V-I-N-E-T-R-A-V-E-L-S.com. And I'm going to be doing... Uh, the divinetravels.com has a lot of tours to sacred destinations, uh, seminars, conferences, 
I do these cruise ship seminars. As a matter of fact, I'll be doing a conspiracy cruise. Ah, conspiracy. conspiracy I like that.、Cruise. Why didn't I think of that? Conspiracy I'm cruise. I'm going to invite you <laughs> to perhaps be one of our speakers on the conspiracy cruise, Richard. Would、so、love to.、Uh, Would love to. I'm an、yeah. email away, and I'm there. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. Susan Shumsky,、Thank、awaken you. your third eye. That's all the time we have.、Uh, my thanks to Tim Spreen, Elbert, and Eric, the interns. All of you listening. Back next week, Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be back for our paranormal news roundup. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.